Rodna was, was helping back there too. This lovely, wonderful new carpet and everything else. I know we didn't wear the carpet out, did we? No. And our banquets, we always cleaned up, but it's so nice and uh, it, uh, it's, it, let's try to do our part and keep it in good shape and I uh, really appreciate that. Okay, let's see, it's Easter Sunday, so what should we talk about today? Hmm, I don't know. Christmas, no, we're going to go with Easter on that. And today's message, and again, I, there are some sheets back there with lines on them if you just wanted something to take notes on, but this is not one that we're going to be um, doing over the computer with, with fill-in-the-blanks, that sort of thing. Really, I just want to talk and share, and, and a lot of what I'm going to do t- talking and sharing today is um, just letting the Bible speak for us, you know, just remembering the old, old story, that even though it's old, old story of the, of the love and coming of Jesus and his dying for us, that it's just as current and fresh today as it's ever been. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So it's just kind of reminding ourselves of that. We've already said he's risen, he's risen indeed, and that's just, again, a reminder. But, you know, that's not something that we just need to say or think or thank the Lord for at Easter time. That's probably something we should do regularly, whether it's corporately or just in our home or in our prayer time or whatever else to do that. But today we're going to be talking about the preliminaries of Easter, the preliminaries of Easter, you know, the, the events leading into it and going through that. And we're going to be kind of answering this question, why Easter? Why did we have Easter? Why was it necessary? And uh, using a phrase from Christmas, you know, what are the reasons for this season? What are the reasons? What is that? And so really what we're going to be doing in, as we're going through our Bible study and looking at these is we're going to, you've heard this phrase, we're going to be remembering the old, old story. You know, and even though it's an old, old story, it's always fresh, it's always alive, and the Lord always has so much for us there. So as we're looking at this, first of all, I think it's just a good place to remember from Romans 3.23 that says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's really a good start and a good answer to why Easter. We needed Easter because of that. We need that because we're, we're from our very birth. Have you, you know, it's an amazing thing. Have you ever noticed in, in children, and maybe not in babies, although I think pretty close in babies, but in babies and young children, that when they come, how they learn to do certain things to manip- manipulate their parents or grandparents? I mean, where does that come from? Didn't come from our bloodline, right? It must have snuck in somewhere else there, but it's just, it's almost amazing to see what, um, what children can do and how even there you can just see the how it's almost built in their system, you know, to prod and to push and to do things in, in that. And so the truth is, is that, you know, even though we talk about the innocence of a born baby, and they are, but very quickly, if they're around us, you know, they, they get tainted a little bit because we're not, we're not pure. We're not demonstrating that. But we remember that Jesus said all have sinned, or we say all are sinners, and we all fall short of the glory of God. We could never earn what Jesus did for us. We can never earn his coming. We can never earn his dying that we celebrate today, and we could never earn the resurrection that he has for us. We have to remember, too, when we're talking about Easter, and we're talking about the presence of God, that God is always the initiator. I know Bob, Bob Hawkins loves to talk about this, but God is the one that initiates. You know, he's the one that, that initiates. He reached out to us before we reached out to him. And that's what we need to remember in this, is that, that even, even before um, the creation of the world, you know, the Lord already knew, it was already in God's plans at the creation of the world that Jesus would be born and that this would happen and there would be the celebration of Easter Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Just so, so incredible in, 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 in the economy of God and the plan of God and just the whole long-range thinking that, that he has and that he sees the... You know, sometimes we go to a parade and we can't really see, so we try to go higher and see what's going on in the parade. Well, the Lord always knows what's going on because for him, eternity isn't like you start at this point and it ends here. For him, he sees all of eternity at one time. All that, that has happened, all that will happen, all that is happening, all that will continue, he sees the whole, the whole spectrum of eternity that's there. You know, God even knew about cell phones before they were made, too. That and uh, how, how what would we do if we didn't have our cell phones? In that, 
So that's no problem. So God's always making the first move. John 3.16, you know this one, for God what? God so loved the world. And the short phrase would be that he sent Jesus. God so loved the world itself. And it's not just talking about the planet or this or that. Although, I mean, we should obviously take the best care of our planet that we can. It's the only one we've got. But what he's talking about there is that, that God loves people. He loves us. He died for people. He died, died for us. And so that's, that's what we're looking at. That's what we're remembering in that. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in that. And then Romans 5, verse 6 through 8. Let's go ahead and look at that. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. I think it's good instead of me just giving it all to you for to look at it from time to time and to see in scripture what it says there i know when i'm preparing messages and, and i always use a lot of scripture but whenever i'm preparing them i'm amazed how much just in my preparation and looking at passages how much those things speak to me edify me encourage me so it's actually a, a really bobby probably the same thing that when you're doing a message there starts being revelation and the lord speaks and it, so you know, even if you're not speaking, read the Bible and preach to your spouse or to each other or to, or to the wall or whatever in that. Okay. Philip, where do we say here? John, Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I love that. It's like we can almost put it down, you know, in the nick of time. But it was at the right time, that in, in the time that had been determined when Jesus said, yes, I will go. When that was determined, it was also determined what it, the cost was and what the time would be and what, what was like going to be in that whole process. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7 says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you see, that's part of the message of the cross that we need to remember, that we need to understand, is that it wasn't that the Lord said, okay, this group is good enough for us to save, because we, were ne we could never be good enough. We could never earn the merit to do that. But knowing that we were sinners, and knowing that his coming, that was the shedding of his blood, that allowed us to walk in him, allowed us to to receive what he has for us. Verse 9, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have now received reconciliation. Isn't that something, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever had someone that you were close to at one time and there was some kind of offense and then there was a there was a breaking and you were apart and how difficult it was you know what does scripture say oh the it's in proverbs somewhere it says offended brother it's harder to win than a closed city something like that and um that sometimes we, we don't realize that we don't understand how how difficult it is when those hurts and the hardships come in that but what we're seeing here as we're looking at this as we're remembering this is that Jesus, it said, as we just read, he reconciled us through the death of his son and we're saved through his life. So we boast in the Lord because of what the Lord has done and that's why we're reconciled to him and that's why we celebrate today is because of that reconciliation. So another question here, how did Jesus give and initiate his love? How did Jesus give and initiate his love to us? You know, just what were some of the practical things and the aspects of, his, of, of what took place in this that allowed him to do what he needed to do? First of all, how did Jesus initiate his love to us? In his coming. Jesus initiated the love that he had for us that led to Easter Sunday in his coming to be among us. Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Now, we have to confess, or, or at least I will confess, that there are times that when, when we get some leverage, we use them for our own benefit, right? In that. 
What he's saying is that the very nature of God was the nature that was in Jesus. And he didn't consider that this was something that he was to use for his advantage. You know, that it wasn't something that he was, this is why you don't see Jesus. It's interesting, there's um, gospels that were written that are before our gospels, and they're not really gospels at all. They're just kind of stories, and really, I, I think a lot of times they're more speculations. But one of the speculations is always about the childhood of Jesus. You know, what was it like when Jesus was a child? What did he do? You know, and, and that sort of thing. And so these, some of these, uh, go, these gospels, again, not, not um, uh, genuine dos- gospels, but some of them talk about Jesus, you know, making a, a clay pigeon or making a paper pigeon and then throwing it in the air and it flies around and things like that. Well, that's the kind of trouble we get in when we have too much time to think about something like that. But we, we see that. We see that, that, you know, that, that people are trying to do that. Well, the truth is that when Jesus came, and, and we'll, we'll talk about this, but when Jesus came, you know, he came as a child. He came as an infant. He came as one of us. He came, you know, in, in all that we are, he came in the same way in that. And reading this says, who being in his very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And that really just sums up so much of the gospel there. You know, that that's what we're about today is that we're celebrating that. We're remembering that. We're imprinting that into our minds, into our memories, into our hearts, into our devotion and, and following after the Lord at this time. So in his coming and in his coming, he laid aside his heavenly glory. You know, there's a mystery and there's tension that we have in, in relationship to Scripture because we know that God was, was, that Jesus was fully God, but he was also what? Fully man. And there was a tension in that. There was always that tension, and part of, part of his learning obedience was not what was knowing what the Father, he said, I only did what the Father said, and I only, you know, only said what he said, and I only did what the Father's doing. And so that meant that there were some people he healed, some people that he, that he reached out to, and other people that he didn't because he was going for where the Father was sending him in that. Jesus was an obedient son. And we have to remember that, that he, he grew up as a child. He was an obedient son. He was a, and, and we'll talk about that as we work through that. He laid aside his heavenly glory, fully God, fully man. His origins were humble. Just think about, we know the story of this. But uh, in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he had, did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home to be your wife. What is conceived in her from, is from the Holy Spirit. And you'll give birth to a son. You'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from his sins, from all of their sins. And so we see this. We see the questionable pregnancy of where you have literally an unwed mother who's pregnant with child. And the truth is, during that time, during the, the legalistic, ritualistic um, worship of the day, that if this had gotten out, or, or that if it hadn't been, been taken care of the way it was taken care of, Mary could have been killed, or, and the baby that was within her. But we know that Joseph came, and Joseph, and can you imagine Joseph in this, of where... Um, you know, Mary says, uh, Joe, I've got something to tell you. I'm going to have a baby. But it's all good. Haven't been with anybody except the Lord. I mean, guys, think about that. Just, just think about it. That would be a real test on the beginning of a marriage, you know, beginning of a relationship. 
But Joseph received those things in his heart, and he became a provider for her and covered her in that because there could have been the very real danger of them being killed by the Pharisees and those that were there. So they, in this questionable pregnancy, they watched after uh, Mary, and they watched after this, this child that was being born. You know, he was born in a, a manger, and sometimes we forget that the mangers were probably caves, you know, and are a stable or something like that, nothing fancy, nothing. I mean, the Lord had his own fireworks. The Lord had the, the stars and everything that gave homage to the coming of Jesus. But his, his birth wasn't really a noble thing in and of itself. He was also a Nazarene. Remember that he grew up in Nazareth? And um, he was a Nazarene. And there was a phrase that was tied with Nazarene as was, can any good thing come from Nazareth? You know, Nazareth, nothing good can come from there. Nothing can come from there. Well, that just shows that sometimes our preconceived ideas totally block us from the purpose of God. Because maybe this was a city that the reputation was nothing good comes from here. You know, but the truth was, is something good did come through there, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, there was a time that when they tried to kill him as well, uh, been to Nazareth, and when I was in Israel, and we took the tour, and you're there, and you can see there's, there was a steep cliff that, hold, that it's built on there. And, and there was a time that they, when Jesus was older that they wanted to drive him off the cliff, but, but the Lord protected him in that process. His own family was unsure. You know, they, they weren't sure about him. They didn't know what it meant, what was going on in the process. Um, we see this in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. And verses 1 through 5. It says this, After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, he did not want to go into Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. When the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see your works that you do. No one wants to become a public figure, acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourselves to the world. And this is, this is the kicker. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. His own brothers. And we see that. So we see the rejection that he had, even in his birth, and the difficulties in his family, and even from, from his, own, his own family, as we, we look at that and look a little bit beyond that. In um, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. Mark 3, verses 20 through 21. Jesus has entered a house. There's a large crowd that's there. And there were so many that people that were coming in to, to be in this that... Um, the disciples weren't even able to eat. And when the family heard about this, it says they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, isn't that the kind of parental support that you want when you're growing up? You've lost your mind. You're crazy. Maybe your parents said that. Maybe we need some prayer for inner healing today. I don't know. But you know that, that here, was, here was Jesus doing what the Father was saying, doing what the Father was doing, but because it, it offended his family, and they were offended in the sense that, well, this is just crazy. This is just a madhouse. You know, maybe they were proper people, and they didn't want to have this madhouse. You know, and so they were going to take care of him and try to put him in his right mind in this whole area. And it says the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said this. They went much further. He is possessed by Beelzebub. Okay, they said, he's got a demon, you know, he's possessed by a demon. But they even go further than that and said, by the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. So see, here the accusations were even stronger. First of all, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say that, that a person has affliction or has a, has a demonic presence or has something they need to be set free from. But what they go on here and said that the way that he brings healing in the sense of deliverance from other people of demons in, in this is it says that, um, oh, I lost my spot here. I'm sorry, just a second. That what they were doing in the process was that he said, you cast out demons yourself because you are, you have demons yourself. And so you're, you're tied up in that, driving out demons. And so Jesus answered that and said this, how can Satan drive out Satan? 
That's just crazy. You know, how would Satan, why would he want to drive himself out? That didn't even make any sense. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it can't stand. So if a house is divided, it can't stand. If a Satan opposes himself and is divided, he can't stand. And he goes on in that whole paragraph and talks about that process and, again, of what's in that. So his own family was unsure. His hometown was unsure and rejected him. We know that the religious leaders and rulers did that. And so let's also talk about how Jesus gave and initiated his love to us in his living. We've talked about in his coming and in and, and, and some of the ministry there, but in his living. As a boy, you know, Jesus as a boy, and we don't know exactly when he began to, to understand the calling or who he was or what's involved in that, but we, we have some um, proof or some indication from Scripture that even this began at a very early time in the process. But as a boy, he learned to wait for his time. Luke chapter 2 and verse 51. Luke 2, verse 51. And we won't read, read all this. But this is a story when Jesus and his parents, as they did every year, went down to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And so they, they went to the festival, and they brought Jesus with him. And, um, and then they finished, and they left. Now, it's an amazing thing to think about that. How would you feel if you had been given stewardship over Jesus and you lost him? Yeah, that, that would be real tough. Would I mean it's like, I mean, how how would you go? The uh, Father God um, messed up big time here. We don't know where we lost Jesus. You know, don't know where he is. A lot of a lot of the sad part is a lot of people have lost Jesus and they don't even know that they've lost him because they're they've dropped out of relationship in that. But Jesus has never lost us in that. But, but they go here. They go through the festival, and it was a large group. And the parents leave, and they make an assumption. Their assumption is, is that Jesus is with him. You know, it's a large group. Now, just me, now, not, probably not, but just me, in looking at it from this end, if I was counting off those going, the top of my list would have been Jesus, right? Would have been the supernatural birth guy. That was one, one to make sure we didn't leave behind. You know, the rest of them, you make it fend for themselves a little more. But the family went, and they're going on, and they traveled away, and they've traveled for over a day, and then all of a sudden it occurs to them, someone said, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen, has anybody seen Jesus? And they're like, we've lost Jesus, you know. <laughs> and uh, again, that's what bad parents, how could that happen? And so they decide to turn around and take their group and go back, you know, back to the, to the festival and back to the time there at the temple. And they come, and when they do that, they come and they see that Jesus is there. And it says that, and this is in verse um. Number seven, Jesus is talking and answering questions and interacting with the, the religious leaders of that day. And those that heard him, even at this time, they were amazed the way he understood and how he could answer and that sort of thing. The parents come and they see him and they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why are you treating us like this? Isn't it, have you ever noticed that sometimes that when we're really afraid that we can get really angry? That ever happened? And we can get really accusatory. But this is not a message on marriage today, so we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> okay? Yeah, this, but you know what I'm talking about there. And so does. But so they finally find him, and he's sitting there, and he's with all these, these religious leaders. And what are they doing? They're, they're opening the scrolls from the Old Testament, and they're reading those. And part of the way that it was set up was that anyone could, could interject. And Jesus is asking questions. He's He's, he's sharing things, and, and at this time, there wasn't hostility there because they were all the scribes and religious leaders were just amazed. How could this boy know these? How, how could he understand these things? It's, they conveniently forgot all about that when he grew up. But at this point, they're just amazed. And so they come, and, and Jesus' mother comes to him and says, you know, and Jesus answers and says, why were you searching for me? You know, duh. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. They didn't understand. They couldn't, they couldn't you know, it was about his father's business. He was there to, to talk about scripture and already was receiving revelation and understanding and sharing, even at that young age. But verse 51 says, But then he went down to Nazareth with him, that is his parents, 
and he was obedient to them. See, that's amazing. That shows his love and the purity that was upon him. But even though he had abilities that could have been used at that time, he was willing to obey his parents and to stay there until the time that he was released by the Father to go on. And so we see this. This is, again, just a whole part of the, of the Easter story. It says, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Wow. You know, don't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to see the, the book that Mary wrote about all the things Jesus growing up in that and, and everything? It's probably good that it's lost or that we never had it. But his mother treasured these. She treasured these things and she'd see these. And it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So this was all part of leading up again to Easter Sunday, to the resurrection, to, to what was taking place in this whole process. Jesus, as we said, as a, as a boy, as a child, waited for his time. Um, he was submissive. Um, when he went to, remember when he went to John the Baptist and John the Baptist was baptizing? What was the response of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus? First response was, this is the guy I've been talking about. This, this is him. This is the one. And then the next, you know what the next thing that John said was? Jesus, I need you to baptize me. Remember that? And what was the response there? Jesus said, no, I need to suffer. This, I need to undergo this. This was part of the process. He was willing, again, to walk in humility in that. And even though John, you know, was, was like, you imagine John was one of the, considered one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. He had one prophecy. When he saw Jesus, it was, that's him. That's the greatest prophecy anyone's ever had. That's him. When he saw Jesus, he knew that was the Messiah, that he was baptized and preparing people to come. And so very much so, he's like, oh, no, you know, you baptize me, not the other way around. But Jesus wanted to be baptized. He submitted himself to that. He submitted himself to the process and what was, what was important in that and just so, so foundational for him in the days to come. In his living, as a boy, at his baptism, you know, even scripture tells us that as, as when the Lord commissioned him and released him, that he sent him out, and we've done messages on this and we're looking at the Beatitudes, but the first thing that um, happened when the Father sent him out was the devil came and did what? He tested him. He tempted him. He would, he would quote scripture to Jesus and trying to, to use that against him. And Jesus went in the wilderness, in the desert, and he went through a season of preparation and testing. And all that was the will of the Father. And all of that was because of preparation in his own heart and his own life and setting for us the example that would come that was so, so important in that. So at his water baptism, you know, there, there was testing, temptation, fasting, all that was there. Hebrews chapter 2, verses Hebrews 2, verse 18 says this, that Jesus suffered when he was tempted. That when temptation, we sometimes think that, oh, it was, you know, he was Jesus. He never really had temptation. There was never really temptation. Well, sure, he, he was fully God, but he was, but he was also fully man. And there was temptation there. There was testing there. There was every single step. There was a test, and there was that he passed every time in this whole process. We see that, that that whole process. Let's just look very quickly. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18. It says this, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's a short verse. I want to read it again, though. Because he, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted. Have you ever thought about that? That it was suffering, that there was a pull in his flesh, and he had to deal with that. He had to say no. He had to, 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 to give in to the Holy Spirit and not to the presence of, of what the enemy was trying to bring. He himself suffered when tempted. But because of that, of him overcoming sin and temptation and all the testing in that, because of that, He's able to help those, Scripture says, who are being tempted. And so that means if you're in a place, if I'm in a place, of where we're feeling a temptation to say something or think something or do something that we, we know in our heart of hearts that isn't right to do, but we're just like, oh, it's so hard. You know, I'm just so angry and, 
and, and, and, and instead of blessing this person, I want to break their nose or something you know, crazy like that. We get upset or in that. But we had to come back to remember that Jesus was tempted. And because he did it, he responded in a godly way. God was able to deliver him through that process. And part of Easter Sunday is remembering that when we go through temptations and we go through testings and we go through trials, that if we will say yes to the Lord and we will allow the Lord to work in our hearts and lives, he'll bring us through it and he'll help change us. It'll help us to grow up in the whole process in that. Hebrews uh, also said that Jesus was tempted in every way, but yet without sin. Jesus gave of his time. Remember on Mark 6, chapter 30, you have to turn there. But this was just after the time that when John the Baptist had been beheaded. And when Jesus heard that John the Baptist was beheaded, it was painful. He was fully God, but he was fully man. And he, what did he say to his disciples? Let's go rest. Let's get aside. I mean, if you've just lost a loved one, and I know all of us have in the past and certainly in, in the days to come, and, um, you know, we, I lost a, a dear friend that's now home with the Lord. But in the midst of that, we have to remember that the Lord is still watching over us. He still cares for us. And that he's, he's teaching us his, way, his ways. But Jesus said, let's just go aside and let's rest. And that's a good thing to do. But when he did that, all the people came up and there were hundreds to thousands and Jesus looked at them, and the disciples said this. This was their word of knowledge. Tell them to go home. You know, don't bother I me. Mean, we just, Jesus, we just lost. There's, there's pain. There's suffering. There, you're, there's grieving. Just send them away. And Jesus said, no, you feed them. And they're like, feed them? What we got? And that was the time. And this was right after John the Baptist was killed. And that's what they were grieving over was John the Baptist who had been murdered. And you know the story of that. And so they're grieving over that. And but there's this need that's there. And so what Jesus does, when there don't seem to be any resources, he asks them, what you got? And they checked around. They found little bread and little fish or whatever. And they said, well, this is all we've got, but this is a big group here today. But they passed it around, and there was food for all, and there was food that was left over. Again, this came out of someone who was grieving and hurting and tired. But when that was finished, he told his disciples, they fed them all, dismissed the crowd. They said, let's go rest. And so they went and they had their time of rest. Again, Jesus knew it was important. And he often would take times to go alone to his father and to rest, hear from him and to be revived, to be encouraged in this whole process. In Luke 22, verse 24, is, um, the disciples were having a discussion. Actually, what they were doing was they were having a dispute. In other words, they were fighting. They were fighting, okay? And so they're having this fight, and so Jesus decides he's going to teach them a lesson. And we see this lesson that he teaches them when he goes and he, in John 13, and he takes them in, and they come in one by one, and there's the, there's the um, at the time, there would have been a servant there, or there would have been the um, towels there or the water there to wash the dirty feet, because when people walked, in those days, they walked on roads that were primarily dirty, and so it was a necessity, and they were going to sit beside each other, so washing feet was a good thing. It was a practical thing. But we know what took place here was is that, that when they came, they all fought for places to sit, and in, in response to Jesus, in relationship to Jesus. And so Jesus decided to teach them, not with words, but with actions. And so Jesus took off the, the, the signifying that, that he was um, in charge there, that he was the leader there, and he took it off, and he took like the, the other towel, the towel that would have been that of a household servant, and he began to wash the dirty feet of his disciples. And all of them did, did okay with that, except one. Who was that? And what did he say? Never, never, no, no, no. These, the rest of these guys are so bad, you need to wash. But you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, 
we can't have relationship. And so Peter's like, well, give me a bath. You know, give me more than a wash. Bath. Wash everything. I mean, don't you love Peter? Peter gives me hope. He really does. He, he really gives me. The Lord, I'll tell you about it some other time. The Lord visited me when I was, was young and with, with a passage from, that related to Peter. So I've always had a real good, good heart for Peter in that. But, you know, Jesus washes their feet. And guess whose feet he also washes? He washes the feet of the one that is about to leave and to go and to betray him. But he washed his feet. That's the Savior we have. That's, that's what led to the cross and was pushing to the cross in that. So we see this. We see Jesus in his dying. Revelation 13, 8 said this, that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Even before things were planned here, the middle of the plan was Jesus was going to go at a time to bring redemption to us. And John 1, verses 29 and 36 says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Easter is, beholding the Lamb. Isaiah 53, I encourage you just to read over that. It's a long passage, but it's a picture of a suffering servant. And it's a prophetic picture from the Old Testament pointing to the new in Jesus of what he did and what was involved for that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, Jesus was made sin for us. Literally, as I said before, he became sin because he was cursed. Uh, it says anyone that was, was nailed to a cross literally was cursed. And so Jesus took on that curse for our sins in that whole process. But then as we close here, we need to remembering today that the other thing that Jesus did, we had each of those areas. So we had his coming and we had in his living and his life. And we talked about in his dying and everything is there. But the most important thing for us today was in his rising, in his rising. There's so many good passages about the Lord when he was risen from the dead and he began to see the disciples and talk to them and some would believe and some wouldn't believe. And, you know, and then the guys on the Maus Road that are walking and Jesus is walking with them and they don't even recognize him. You know, the Lord keeps them from recognizing. But he just gives them, a, you know, shares his heart with them. He's telling them things about going on. And, 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 and they come in and they break bread. When they break bread, as we're going to break bread in just a few minutes, but as they break bread, all of a sudden it's like scales drop from their eyes and they see it was Jesus. And then he's gone. Wow. That's one of my prayers for us today at Easter. Is that the scales of our heart and the scales of our eyes, spiritual eyes, would, would drop down. That they'd be cleansed. That we could see and understand and appreciate more and more what Jesus did, what he is doing, and what he'll do for us in the days to come as we continue on our journey in this process. Hebrews 7.24 says, Jesus is able to save us completely. And it also tells us that Jesus is interceding for us, even now. You know, that's always so encouraging for me. If I'm speaking or doing ministry or anything else, is that, you know, even if, if I'm doing it badly or poorly, that Jesus is praying for me. You know, and I just say, keep it up, Jesus. You might need to pray a little bit more, <laughs> you know, this, but... Jesus is, he says he ever lives to make intercession for us. So part of his living today is praying for you, praying for you guys, praying for, for things that you are concerned about and know, but praying for things you don't know that he's praying in advance. Because again, he sees the parade from one end to the other. He knows everything in between in that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you today. For your coming. We thank you, Lord, for your heart for us. We thank you, Lord, that from the foundation of the world that you'd already said yes to the cross. Oh, God, would you give us a fresh revelation today of your presence, of your cross, of your love. Lord, we just, and at least for myself, I repent of the hardness of hearts. I repent of attitudes and times that, that my response and my, my reaction is not a response of the Spirit, but a reaction of the flesh. 
oh God, I want to have a pure heart. I want us as a, a body of people to have pure hearts. I want us to be people that love you so much that we love our fellow man, that we love those around us, and that we are continually reaching out to bless them as well. Jesus, we thank you for your coming. Today we're celebrating. You can turn this down just a little bit, Josh. Today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And what an appropriate day to do that upon. A day to remember his coming, to remember his dying, to remember that, that we're all pointed towards the day that we'll see him face to face in the great, great time that's to come. Before Jesus went to the cross, he had a, a meal with this kind of a Seder meal with his guys, those that were with him, those that betray him as well. And he took there, and, and they had loaves of bread, and, and he took the bread, and he gave thanks for the bread. Let's give thanks for the bread. Lord Jesus, we give thanks for the bread. We thank you for this physical bread that we have here today. But Lord, we're even more thankful because you are the bread of life. So Lord, as, as we remember and as we honor you this day, we take of earthly bread, but God, more importantly, we take of heavenly bread today. We take of your presence. Lord, would you prepare our hearts to receive your bread today? And Jesus, in addition to the bread, you also took the cup. The cup that was symbolic of the new covenant. The covenant that was based upon the shedding of Jesus' blood. Lord, as, as we take of this cup today, help us to remember that our freedom, that our walk in you is all because Jesus shed his blood. And Lord, we just say thank you. We just say thank you. You're so good, God. Lord, we, we could never earn for five seconds. Could never in five seconds, even that short of time, be pure enough to come in your presence. But because of your blood, because of the breaking of, of the bread, your body, you said we can come in your presence all the time. So Lord, this, this celebration today, communion service, is about coming into your presence, abiding in your presence, and then, Lord, finally, taking your presence to all those that are around. Amen. What we're going to do is... Um, Worship team, if you'd go ahead and come back up. Our communion table is open to, to any and all that would like to um, participate in this today. And um, let's see here. Let's do this a little different. Terry, would you and Kathy be our stewards today? <laughs> Had to put your cell phone down. <laughs> That's my Bible. That's her Bible. It is. I will vouch to that. So we're going to sing a song of, um, a communion song of worship. And um, then as we do that, y'all can come up and just take a um, piece of the bread and uh, take your cup. And uh, you, can, you can participate um, when you take it there or back at your seat. Or if you want to do it later, just whenever. That's fine. So let me get situated and we'll get in our worship.
do this as love.